Hi, it's Grace, and this is Frogmore Stew. Today's guest is Matt Moore. But before I introduce you to him, I recommend that you listen to the prequel I recorded to go with today's podcast. It's a piece about Lee Atwater. He's a main figure in what Matt and I will discuss today, and it's important to know who he was and why he was such a pivotal character in South Carolina and U.S. political history. Put my heart, yeah. Yeah, my heart belongs to South Carolina. Yeah. But that's the place. Today we are talking to Matt Moore. He's a political commentator and Republican political strategist. He grew up in Georgia and moved to South Carolina in 2007 to work for then-Governor Mark Sanford. He served as the South Carolina Republican Party's executive director during the 2011 and 2012 election cycle and as the state director for then-Senator Tim Scott. He was the 18th chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party from 2013 to 2017. He's also served as the chief strategist during the 2022 primary and general election campaign of now South Carolina Superintendent of Education, Ellen Weaver. Matt most recently served as state chairman of Trust in the Mission PAC, which supported Tim Scott for president. Matt, hi, welcome to Frogmore Stew. Thanks for having me. I have been so looking forward to talking to you, especially just before the upcoming Republican presidential primary, because I understand you are a wealth of knowledge about the history of the Republican presidential primary and its lasting relevance. That is very kind. 44 years now of <laughs> South Carolina's big primary. We'll see what happens on uh, on Saturday. So the story really starts in 1980 which is probably before you were born, with Lee Atwater, right? He was the first, it was the first year the Republicans would have a primary in South right. Carolina. And prior to that, it was just through the state party convention. I don't think the Dems had a primary here until maybe 1988. But do you want to start us from the beginning, 1980, what was going on politically in South Carolina? You're right. It's before my birth by a couple of years. But the story actually goes back well before then, the 1950s. People forget that primaries to pick a president are a relatively recent invention. Uh, before the 1960s, really, presidents were, were chosen in smoke-filled back rooms, right? We, we, there are all kinds of stories from uh, the 1930s, 40s, and, and even before that, uh, where they, they looked around at, at the senators and the governors and the rich guys, literally all white guys, uh, in the room and said, who wants to be the nominee for president? And they chose it that way. So the populism of the 1960s led eventually to South Carolina's primary in 1980. But in, in, in the late 1950s, when the Texel Baron Roger Milliken in the upstate began to support Barry Goldwater, who was a hardliner U.S. senator from Arizona, these guys were very much of a John Birch, Ayn Rand, libertarian strain of Republicans. So Goldwater is actually the first Republican to win a, a general election versus Johnson in 64. Shortly before that was when Senator, U.S. Senator Strom Thurmond switched to the Republican Party. And there was also the races, right? In the late 60s, Richard Nixon won in 68 in South Carolina. 74, Governor Jim Edwards was the first South Carolina Republican governor since the Reconstruction period. So in 76, Ronald Reagan actually wins the South Carolina Republican Convention. Uh, of course, he lost the nomination to President Gerald Ford. It's a very hard-fought race. So he headed into the late 1970s, Lee Atwater, who was about to become Reagan's state campaign manager, was looking really for any advantage to help Ronald Reagan become the Republican nominee for president. Uh, there was a competing faction of the party 
led by Texas Governor John Connolly. Haley Barber, I think, was his campaign manager. Again, these are very famous sort of political operatives. But Lee Atwater decided to have the novel idea to move the South Carolina primary to right after Iowa and New Hampshire, of course, before, quote unquote, Super Tuesday. So the idea was that there'd be a lot of focus on South Carolina. It was a, a relatively small state. Candidates could get around cheap media markets. You have three to four distinct media markets. Which is uh, key, right? Like, right? It's, 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 it's key. key yeah. Instead of having it in a big state where it's yeah. super expensive, it gives the little guy more opportunity. That's right. He also had the really novel idea to put the primary on a Saturday. This is where that comes from. The, the South Carolina primary is referred to as the working man's primary. They were keenly aware that having a primary on a Saturday certainly leads to more working turnout. Folks uh, that aren't working can come to the polls. And Jamal Reagan wins. And uh, South Carolina takes off from there. So that's kind of backstory. I read something that Adwater once said, in Iowa, they want the candidates to trudge through the snow. In New Hampshire, they want you to come and sit on their couch. But in South Carolina, they want to see you take a punch. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right from what I've seen over the past couple of decades. <laughs> and can you tell us the story of how Atwater pitted the two candidates, George H.W. Bush and John Connolly, against each other so that Reagan would come out looking good? Yeah, the way I understand it, there's a lot of accusations. I think it actually involved Nancy Thurman creating all kinds of rumors against Connolly. And they pitched a story to Lee Bandy. And I forget the exact topic of the story. Lee Bandy was a very famous political reporter. Yeah. Uh, but Bandy later admitted that he basically won the election for Reagan in South Carolina. Right. So the way I understood it was that there were some black pastors that had gone to Lee Atwater and said, listen, we like your candidate and we want to push him within our congregation, but we need some money to, to be able to do that. And he was like, oh, we're out of money, but John Connolly has a bunch of cash. <laughs> and so he sent them over to John Connolly. And before they even got to him, Atwater had called the reporter Bandy and said, hey, Connolly is bribing the black community to vote for him. That's and, the story, right. <laughs> Bandy ran the story. And yeah, and then it pitted George H.W. Bush against John Connolly and made Reagan look like he was this <laughs> Buck the Fray candidate. Right. That sounds right. And that, that's, that's just scratching the surface of 44 years of crazy. <laughs> of, of South Carolina, right. So many people believe that Reagan would never have won the presidency if he lost the South Carolina primary that year. And that, too, is what made South Carolina such a big deal about indicating who will go on to become the nominee. Yeah. When I was state chairman, we had the slogan we used quite a lot uh, in marketing is, is we pick presidents, right? It's like Iowa picks corn and New Hampshire picks something and South Carolina picks presidents. Uh, right, and so right. We, we used that marketing. That marketing kind of faded in 2012 when Newt Gingrich won the primary. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think it's still true. And it holds true because South Carolina, as you mentioned, is a it's a diverse geographic state. It's diverse in For terms sure. of media markets. It's in diverse in, type, in the types of voters who vote uh, all the way from Charleston to, to the upstate. You know, it, it, it's enjoyed that spot for 44 years. I think Republicans here, probably, and Democrats for that matter too, shouldn't take it for granted that you have this sort of front row seat. South Carolina has always punished above its weight politically, as we joke. In the U.S. conflict, South Carolina is usually at the front of a line causing right. the conflict, right? <laughs> uh, but also, we have a ton of international political people from South Carolina. Of course, current DNC chair, Jamie Harrison, and the RNC co-chair, Drew McKissick, are from South Carolina. Yeah, um, The state generates a lot of interesting political people. That is for sure. In doing some research on you, I, I found that you wrote your master's thesis from USC 
on the economic impact of South Carolina's 2012 Republican presidential primary. So what was the standout of the 2012 primary? So it does seem like I had my last ago, 2012. I was working on my master's in economics and the university said, you have to finish and you have to write about something. And I was like, oh gosh, I, like, I'm not excited about this at all. So I said, let's write about politics. Uh, and so I actually studied the impact, the economic impacts of South Carolina's 2012 primary, which these studies are interesting on, on multiple levels. One, because modern campaigns, they're always changing, right? In terms right, of the, right. the spends, but also interesting just because it helps actually real people in South Carolina have jobs and right. often, often joke, the big winners in South Carolina politics are restaurant owners and hotel owners. Because <laughs> um, all these people like descend on the state. And I can't remember the exact numbers. I think I'm pretty close, though. There, there was There's upwards of $60 million e even 10 years ago in terms mm -hmm. of earned and unearned earned media impacts of these races, right? So TV ads, and staff right. hired, and people buy gas at gas stations for the buses. And yeah. this is actually a big deal for a state. You get a few hundred jobs every couple of years created by these primaries. You have all these you know, national media folks who come to South Carolina and spend money at hotels. And I, I can guarantee you almost that every hotel this weekend in Columbia, for example, in Charleston too, will be booked up by media, media. covering the race, which is yeah. kind of cool. And so, but 2012 was an interesting year too for some other reasons because it, that was one year that South Carolina did not pick the eventual nominee, right? We picked Newt right. Gingrich instead of Mitt Romney. And also that was when Operation Red Map was taking effect and a lot of things were happening within the party that were really changing, right? The Tea Party oh. was weakening the establishment. There were There was a lot happening that really you can look to today as the beginning of a major change in the Republican Party. Yeah, looking back, we should have seen it coming that the so-called establishment lost the thread. With the right. descendants of Newt Gingrich, the way that Newt used to fight against the media to generate a lot of, of headlines. And of course, there was a contributor on Fox News around at that time named Donald Trump, who, who was <laughs> saying a lot of the same things he's saying now. So we should have seen it coming. The primary voters were really the people that moved to the far right. But then the general voters continued just voting Republican because that was their party. But I don't feel like the majority of South Carolinians are as far right as our state legislature and our state government would suggest. Don't forget that the sort of spirit of this South Carolina Republican Party goes back to the 1950s. Those guys mm -hmm. were sort of John Birch Society, hard libertarians. And that sort of fighting spirit in the party goes back at least 70 or so years. It's, it's not really a recent thing. And as in flows in terms of regional dominance uh, and those kinds of things, whether it's upstate Midlands or, or low country, who's in power, who's not. But right. typically the loudest, hardest voices are the most active in the primaries. And then that's who determines the general, <laughs> right. right? Because right, they right. Had those, which is where we are. So I, I read something that you said in 2021 saying, Republicans must expand the tent and focus on issues that matter. MAGA plus substantive policy ideas is a winning political mix, while MAGA plus conspiracy theories and lunacy is a dead-end road. Do you feel like that's still an accurate statement? I think it's true to the degree people actually want policy anymore. So much of politics now is about just general demeanor and comportment. You know, will, will you fight the other party? But that being said, though, there's still a lot of like serious policy debates happening in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party for that matter, too. Hopefully some of those come out in the fall as we head towards the general election. Yeah, 
there's part of me that thinks it will be all about Facebook memes and little simple videos <laughs> like it always has been recently. Yes. And also, Trump has said to specific donors who give to Haley that they'll be permanently barred from MAGA if they give to her. It's hard to determine right now who the heart and soul of the Republican Party is from a Democrat. Looking in, it's very yeah. difficult to say the majority of the party want some sort of moderation on the policies, mm. but they want conservative policy. But then there's this small, very vocal group who are Trumpers. But I don't know if that's true. What I, what I would say is that the GOP needs to come together more than the Democrats need to come together in the fall. It's become fairly bruising this primary season. The Democrats do team sport better than the GOP does. And so, look, I think the, the Haley Republicans, so to speak, and the Trump Republicans and maybe the Let's call them the DeSantis Republicans. I'll need to get in a room, hash it out, and come together if there's going to be a chance to win, really. Well, it's really four or five swing states in the fall. There's a lot of talk right now about the way that Nikki Haley could potentially win the South Carolina Republican primary is by having crossover votes, that the Democrat turnout was low, and they think that the substantial portion of those voters are going to vote for Nikki Haley in the Republican primary. What do you think about that? I would say that's wishful thinking. There's not a lot of data in South Carolina that showed that the Democrats cross over and vote in GOP primaries. Yeah. I would say, too, that the past four, at least four competitive primaries for president have featured record turnout. I'd be surprised if the primary Saturday has record turnout. I think there's less interest. It's hard to see that people maybe are as motivated to come out as they might have been if it were six, seven, eight people in the race. Right. But again, there's just not much data to show that. No. And there's an argument to that the Democrat primary was low because we have the incumbent. And so people, right. everyone knows who it's going to be. Why is South Carolina important right now for where Republicans are in this state of being? The Republican Party recently is a Southern party. The Sun Belt, the growth over the past 20 years mm -hmm. is focused a lot on South Carolina. We're still a very socially conservative state uh, among Republicans. Mm -hmm. We're sort of lines up with most of the rest of the South. But also we have a ton of sort of manufacturing, a ton of military. The, the traditional three-legged Republican stool was military, national security, sort of economics, and Southern evangelicals. I think that still holds true, but people jumped around in, in categories. There certainly is a far more sort of isolationist strain now when it comes to national security, and maybe rightly so in some ways, right? The past two decades, America's wasted a ton of money on, on things. And I think at the heart of Trumpism is a legitimate criticism that we can't do everything. And if someone has a road that needs to be paved in Denmark, South Carolina, we shouldn't be paving roads elsewhere. And so right. that really, I think, is the a, a sea change from the sort of robust foreign policy Republicans that we saw 20 years ago. I've watched some old video of you and Jamie Harrison when you were both state chairs talking about some crossover that you both were in agreement on. And one of the things was how badly gerrymandered our state is that essentially dictates outcomes for a majority of our state. And the Republicans have won every statewide race for the last 16 years. And we are technically a red state because out of the voters, more voters statewide vote Republican. But it doesn't mean that our legislature necessarily should be as lopsided as it is. And a lot of that gerrymandering has led to Democrats not even running. The last election in 2022, 45% of races didn't even have a Democrat running on the ticket. Do you think that there is any chance whatsoever that our legislature could potentially 
create an independent or bipartisan committee when we do the the districts in 2030? I highly doubt it. Uh, I do do think what's changed, though, is the Supreme Court has taken a much broader view of maps. And and frankly, they've said that that political gerrymandering is totally fine. Mm -hmm. They have not obviously endorsed sort of racial gerrymandering. The thing is that those two things are so intricately related. There there is pending court decisions that have redrawn some of the maps around Columbia, congressional map around Charleston. Being a GOP strategist who runs campaigns, I'd love to see mm-hmm. more competitive general election campaigns. Sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's hard to see uh, the, the legislature willingly going in that direction. Okay. Last question. Is Trump going to pick Tim Scott as his running mate? I, I sure hope he does. Tim Scott really compliments <laughs> Trump well. Tim Scott can, can not only help Trump uh, in many ways, he can go places that other VP nominees potentially cannot. And we've done recent polling in South Carolina that, that shows that, that Tim is the top choice of conservatives and Republicans in the state if you poll and ask the question. So I'm hopeful and optimistic. Willie announced Tim Scott as his running mate right before the South Carolina primary on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but there's actually going to be a while before that happens. Matt, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. This was really a fun conversation. And I hope you'll come back and talk to us. We'd love to. Thank you so much. That's all this to for today. Put my heart, yeah. Yeah, my heart belongs to South Carolina. The Frogmore Stew podcast is written and hosted by Grace Cowan. Editing and IT support by Eric Johnson. Produced by TJ Phillips with the Podcast Solutions Network.